1: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. There's a certain dream to the small business. You can, quote, be your own boss, earn a living without moving up the corporate ladder, do things your way according to your own ethics and standards. But the reality is often much tougher, from local restaurants to manufacturing, logistics, or just filling some niche in the local part of the global economy. These things are tough, and they've gotten tougher in the era of globalization, industry consolidation, and, of course, the pandemic. Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Gary Rivlin joins us this hour to talk about his new book, Saving Main Street, and what happened to small business during the pandemic. Some of the story you might expect, but a lot is surprising. That's all coming up next. After this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's so hard to remember back to February 2020. Life was so simple then, few people knew what an antigen test was. We only had masks for the fires. But for small businesses, life was not great. The hair salons, the restaurants, the small trucking businesses, local retailers. Most of them barely had two weeks of cash on hand, and they were constantly battling forces much larger than themselves. From Amazon to the latest food startup to the grinding big box machines like Walmart, Target, and Lowe's. And then the pandemic hit. That's when reporter Gary Rivlin jumped into action. He began talking with dozens of small business owners about what was happening to them during these strange years. The result of that reporting is in his new book, Saving Main Street, Small Business in the Time of COVID-19. Thanks so much for joining us, Gary. Thanks, Alexis. Why, if I can ask, do you have a special interest in small businesses?
2: Uh, Well, my dad was a small business operator his entire adult. Life, So I guess I grew up in it and I I saw firsthand how hard it was, how hard it is, even in good times. And when COVID hit, you know, thinking like, wow, you've got recessions and the internet and big box stores and chains, globalization, and wow, now you have this. And I I just, I I got really scared. I I really thought there'd be this great small business die off and thought maybe I'd chronicle it, see what was happening. Mm You have been thinking about doing a small business
1: book for a long time, in part because of this, the role that small businesses play in the American narrative, this kind of self congratulatory uh, spirit we have about our entrepreneurship and that small business is the sort of quote unquote backbone of the economy. Is that stuff true about small businesses?
2: Well, I, I, I do think there's something essential to. Being an American, you know, we we threw off the yoke of the king, the repressive king, and ventured off on our own. We love the rugged. We love independence. And so I I do, you know, we we hear stories of the old days. It's the blacksmith and the general store owner, the apothecaries and stuff. So I, I do think there is something fundamental. And even though you hear politicians write. Left and in between, it's one of the few things our politicians can agree on that it's the backbone of America. I hate to say it, but I kind of think chains are the backbone. The thing that connects us is we all know there's an Applebee's or a McDonald's or a Lowe's or whatever, but you know what makes. what makes a place unique? What makes a town, a city unique? Uh, are the small businesses. It's the, you know, it's, it's the main drags. When I first moved to San Francisco, I lived in Noe Valley. You know, I love Noe Valley. What did that mean? Well, it meant a few things, but I love 24th Street. I, I love the wine shop, the cheese shop, the places I'd like to, to go. And, you know, as you pointed out in the intro that small businesses seemed an endangered species even before. Uh, the pandemic. And, you know, imagine if, you know, half of them did go out as people feared, you know, what, what is the center of town? I mean, right. I mean, it's, it's just fast food places on the edge of town, big box stores, and, you know, sitting at home on an internet, on, 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 you know, on your computer, logging on the internet. And and so, you know, it, it, Small businesses are fundamental uh, mm-hmm. to community. They are fundamental to what we like and appreciate uh, about a place. So the place that you chose to focus in on in this book as kind of a, this, this slice
1: of America is really these towns in northeastern Pennsylvania near, near Scranton, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about you know, this particular region and, and why it was so interesting to you?
2: Right, so I, I live in New York City, and you know, of course, there are small businesses everywhere. Um, but New York, San Francisco, for that matter, just unique. It's it's you know, so much of the issue is the the rent, uh, you know. And, and so, like, I, I wanted to go someplace that was a little bit more universal, away from the coast, perhaps um, Pennsylvania. It's a couple hours drive from from my apartment and stuff. And it just seemed practical. Plus, you know, it's the center of the political universe. It was obvious even in the spring of 2020 that Pennsylvania would be, if not the state, which it ended up being, but one of the few states. And, you know, I I, I thought that would be interesting. I, I saw diversity in every sense of that term, mm-hmm. racial, gender type of business, but also politically, uh, you know, a couple of the stars of the book uh, with Trump supporters. So I, I really wanted to uh, capture that. And there's something about Scranton area, there's this city of 30,000, half white, half Latino called Hazleton. Mm -hmm. There's Scranton itself, which, you know, kind of punches above its weight in popular culture, you know, the office, et cetera. But it's a city of 75,000 that's really struggled. Um. Uh, and, and then this rural area just west of it, the Endless Mountains, I like the name. Um, and this one town I focus in on, Ticanic, you know, a, a town of 1700 that, you know, they built a Walmart on the edge of town a few decades ago. And it's just been a struggle ever since then. And again, then COVID, uh, hit. So I, I just like that it gave me rural, small city, medium sized city. And I had my own city, New York, to see the big city experience. Yeah. Well, and you also uh, one other town we should mention, Old Forge,
1: right? And you opened the book there at a in a restaurant, Italian restaurant, Cusimano's, right?
2: Cusimano's. So, you know, one thing to understand about this region is the anthracite coal. Capital of the world, and so there's this wedge that covers much of northeastern Pennsylvania uh, where you could get coal a special kind of coal anthracite it was sort of the gold of coal um, it burned, burns more cleanly yeah. right, and so industry loved it, you know cities loved it because it wouldn't be you know acrid smoke in the air, and so this was you know a very prosperous region Scranton is stunning I mean it reminds me of San Francisco you know nineteenth century stone buildings, beautiful architecture. But then, you know, coal starting around after World War II uh, was on the decline, and then by the 70s, it was gone. And so Old Forge, uh, which is named because they built a new forge um, in, <laughs> in Scranton, so everyone referred to the place as Old Forge, um, is this town of 8,000, largely Italian, not solely, very scrappy, you know, kind of that... They're coal miners kids you know and grandkids and stuff it's so kind of a toughness and they're now known for you know they're one of those places that we're the pizza capital of the country um the <laughs> U- U- usa today bought it um their pizza is very very good um but they're known for their pizza and their italian restaurants cusimano is more of a high-end italian restaurant uh met this fellow tj cusimano and he just he just he was a fighter. He was a scrapper. He was innovative. He would try everything. Some ideas worked, some didn't. And I just like, yeah, I, I want to follow this guy. I want to. I, I want to see how his his restaurant fares. And you know, again, the, you know, beauty salons, restaurants, small retail—those are the ones that really seemed like they were taking it on the chin with COVID. The, the biggest challenges faced uh, with with COVID. Yeah, and we want to hear from our
1: small business owners across the area. We'd love to get people from, from across the whole uh, region. Are you a small business owner, and how'd you fare during the pandemic? Like, how did it actually work? What were the workarounds or the new models that you put into place so that you could survive this kind of unprecedented time? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQD Forum, of course, and the email is forum. At KQED dot org, you know, I want to ask you in a, in a place like this, what is a Main Street? <laughs> you know, like, is it? Um, what what's it look like, and what role
2: do you think these small businesses play in kind of maintaining this kind of a, a town? All right. So in Old Forge, Main Street is actually called Main Street, um, and you know, it's it's a mix. There's local restaurants. about a half dozen Italian restaurants on 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 the main track but you know it's changed over the years they they used to have an independent bookshop they they had a, a toy store they had kind of local independently owned uh, places but they knocked down big pieces and now there's a CVS in its place you know there is a place that used to house an Italian restaurant now it's a Domino's pizza and so I, I think that's the story of main streets uh, across the country ticanic the, the 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 rural uh, town there are main streets called Tioga uh, and you know 20 years ago 30 years ago uh, right after the Walmart uh, moved in, they used to have two department stores, they closed. They used to have a clothing store for men, that closed. For women, that closed. A shoe store, that closed. But, you know, they, I mean, some of the uplifting part of writing this book is there was a lot of effort uh, in Tucannic and Old Forge and Hazleton, all these places I would visit, by locals to fight back. Uh, you know, in Tucannic, they Organize a committee and, you know, this group of women who had never filed, written a grant application in their lives, learned how to do it and got money from government to improve the street, the streets, the streetscape, the you know, new lights, fix the sidewalks kind of thing. There was a big town effort to revive, uh, the, the movie theater there, which was successful. And then, you know, the movie theater reopened. So then there's a restaurant across the street. Then there's a second restaurant across the street. And then there's a, 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 a a gift shop you know it, it, it sort of it, it grew and so when COVID hit you know they were kind of back on the upswing uh, mm-hmm. where there's you know lots of local shops no, no chains at least on the main drag all the chains in this role place mm-hmm. or in most role places are kind of on the out by uh, the highway the, or yeah the e- exactly e- exactly huh
1: so uh, taking a step back to small business generally how precarious is the state of small business, just like on an ongoing basis, even you know, outside of the pandemic?
2: Would I would I be a wise guy if I just said very precarious? Um, but you know, so so there's a a great study a few years back, just before the uh, the pandemic, uh, by Chase. They looked at a cross section of their small business customers. The average small business in America, uh, according to Chase, their study, had 19 days worth of expenses. 19, you know, they they had money enough money in the bank to cover 19 days of expenses. So restaurants small shops they live hand to mouth and then then they broke it down by race and you know if you're a black owned business it was i can't remember the exact number more like 13 or 14 12 days something something like that so when covid hit like okay we're a a a a shop all through pennsylvania you know all non-essential retail was shut down completely and so some of these places were bringing zero revenue but have no no cushion and all and you know you could say it's an equal opportunity virus right it, it, it affected you know Lowe's and target just like it affected jr's hallmark in tucanic pennsylvania uh but you know target and Lowe's have ways of raising money presumably they have a big cushion you know glenda shoemaker jr's uh, hallmark Uh, Had a few bucks in the bank. Does not. Yeah. yeah. Or access the financial markets in the same way. (laughs) We're
1: talking about how small business fared in the pandemic with Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Gary Rivlin. His new book is Saving Main Street, Small Business in the Time of COVID-19. And we'd love to hear from you. If you're a small business owner, how are you doing right now? And how have you fared through this unprecedented time? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.
1: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about small business in the time of pandemic with Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Gary Rivlin's got a new book out, Saving Main Street, Small Business in the Time of COVID-19, just came out this week. And Gary, I'm going to bring in our first caller right here at the top here, Tracy in Santa Rosa. Welcome. Hi,
4: that's so nice to, uh, to be able to talk to you guys.
1: Yeah, nice to talk with you, too. What's your story of your uh, business, Tracy?
4: Of course. Um, I have a cookie company in Santa Rosa called Cookie Take-A-Bite. And when COVID hit, we lost about 70% of our business in a day, which was mm. a bit of a panic. Um, so it's like, you know, I think, you know, as small business owners, we're scrappy and, and it's a hustle, right? So, you know, we you know, tried to look at what we could still do, what we could do well. And so we really just kind of pivoted. And, you know, we've got cookies, and we only do cookies, so, you know, we have to be really creative of, you know, where can, who still needs cookies? (laughs) So uh, we just started um, pushing our ability to ship cookie chins. So, you know, create ideas like, hey, you know, it's Tuesday, send cookies, or it's the birthday, you can't go to a birthday party. Um, Send cookies out for, for your, to say, you know, happy birthday, um, so really pushed a whole different, um, not a whole different, but uh, a different uh, revenue stream that could, you know, keep us in business. So uh, it worked, you know, like like a lot of small businesses, you know, I'm tired, uh, It's been a long <laughs> you know, a couple of years and you survive COVID and think, hey, we're great. You know, they talked about this, you know, revitalization and then you have supply chain issues and then you have price increases and then. Anytime there's a, a news story or an article about recession, you, you'll feel literally feel a constriction like people won't come out, they won't buy. Mm. Um, so it, it's a it's still a hustle, and you still got to keep working it. Kind of you know make people you know think about you know using Cookies. your business, so you yeah, can stay in business right? Cookies, thank goodness. Everyone loves cookies, but um, we still got to make, remind them of why, why they need cookies and what they, you know, how to get them and, you know, why we make it easy for them to send a gift. But uh, it's awesome to hear the stories about, you know, the folks in Scranton. It's, you know, not, it's universal for anybody who's got a small business and, you know, we just got to keep it up.
1: Well, Tracy, let me ask you two questions. First, you know, if you look at your business sort of before the pandemic and now after, does... You know, is the money coming from roughly the same places? Has it resettled out or have those new revenue streams kind of, that's what's really sustaining, you know?
4: It's different. Yeah, for sure. Like some revenue streams just didn't come back, um, you know, and and part of, you know, the silver lining or the lemonade of COVID um, is it made you, made me, made me really look at how I ran my business, you know? And so you had to tighten things up. Because if you didn't, you weren't going to survive. So, you know, in some regard, I think it made me stronger as a business.
1: Yeah. Um,
4: and so looking at, hey, those revenue streams that we had before, it was, you know, maybe they don't make sense now. They don't make sense now. So let's really kind of push, you know, this area that has a yeah. higher profit margin that we can weather these, you know, huge spikes in supply uh, pricing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it really made, you, made us um, really rethink how we did business so we could be here for the long yeah. run.
1: Tracy, last thing, um, did you end up going with any of the government programs for stuff from the Small Business Administration or PPP or any of that?
4: All of the above. Mm -hmm. Um, We were awesome to get, you know, a PPP, but um, as a small business owner, you know, you don't have a huge staff, so it wasn't like a huge, um, like, windfall. But, you know, we did the California grant, we did the PPP, we now have a loan, uh, which is the first time in, you know, the 10 years I've had my business where I have debt. Um, And it definitely helped. Um, I think looking back, it scares me how much money we blew through (laughs) to stay alive. Uh, So like that really made like this year, like, oh, gosh, we can't we don't have that, you know, that windfall, that little extra cushion. We really have to look at what we're doing and tighten things up and really make really hard decisions. Uh, But it definitely was a lifeline.
1: Tracy, thank you so much. That was just such an insightful call. Great to hear your story. Gary Rivlin, um, I assume that a lot of what Tracy was saying are, are the things that you've encountered with these small business owners.
2: Exactly. I mean, starting off with the creativity, you know, just just – People may do. There is something about the entrepreneurial spirit. We, we you see it in Silicon Valley and in, in, in tech, and these businesses are different. You know, they're not two-person businesses that hope to be two million or or, or two thousand-person businesses. Uh, but there's still that grit and that creativity. Like I, 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 by coincidence, not chocolate. Excuse me, it's not cookies. It's chocolate. Uh, one of the. Uh, main businesses I focus in on the, the only one not in Northeastern Pennsylvania, are these, uh, three black siblings behind Soul Cacao, a, a craft chocolate maker. Before the pandemic, 90% of their business was selling to cheese shops, specialty shops, that kind of thing. That just went away in the first mm-hmm. months of, of COVID. And now today, 50% of their business is online orders and much of the rest are corporate customers, you know, just as Tracy was saying, like, hey, buy our bars and send them to your customers, and them to your employees to say thank you, that kind of that kind of thing. So that kind of creativity. TJ Cusimano, we talked about before. You know, he never particularly liked barbecue, but watched YouTube videos and taught himself how to do Southern style barbecue. And in the early months of the pandemic, that brought in thousands and thousands of dollars and let it, let him stay alive uh, and all. But the second half of what Tracy was saying, like now everyone's exhausted. They've per- perhaps exhausted their any savings they had, and now they're kind of back to where they were in 2019, you know, facing whatever it might be, you know, online, the big box stores, the chains, whatever it is, a a stat that I think is really telling. In 2020, you look at the biggest, the 50 biggest publicly traded companies, and their revenues went up 2%, Wompli, an online payment uh, company, deals with Mm -hmm. small business, um, they saw that uh, revenues went down 12% Mm -hmm. among small businesses. So, you know, small businesses survived, but the big got bigger, and the small is a little bit weaker uh, than they were, and now they're back to the more or less the same fight they had prior to the pandemic. Yeah. One listener uh, tweeted
1: just to follow up on that. Small businesses struggled while large corporations still made record profits. GOP politicians keep their constituents dependent on large corporations by cutting taxes for them so they keep prices lower than small businesses. Those practices impact the entire nation. Do you, you know, earlier we were talking about how small business is sort of the one thing that different political stripes agree on. But there are different policies in play From the different political parties and some of them
2: are going to support small businesses or large businesses in different ways right right but i i I, we have a real policy problem around small businesses in this country and you saw it play out with ppp the paycheck protection program, the very program designed to help small businesses. We define small business in this country. The federal government defines small business in this country as any business with up to 500 employees. When I started this book, small business to me is two, five, 10, maybe 25 employees. And it's not just a, you know, a label thing. You know, if you're designated a small business, you could go to the small business administration and get subsidized loans. And so, you know, what's happening is companies with hundreds of employees and millions in, in revenues are getting these subsidized loans through the federal government. It, it, we really didn't create the SBA to help you. We helped them to create, to help, we created to help uh, businesses that have 2, 5, 10, 20 uh, employees, you know, Paycheck Protection Program. Like, you know, it, it was, Three words were added. You talk about the different parties right before the passage of the CARES Act. This was April of twenty twenty uh the The, the largest a uh, rescue package of its kind uh Right before it passed, three words were added to the sections around PPP, per physical location. Marco Rubio and Susan Collins, two favorite centers, I'm sure of Bay Area listeners, added those words. And what that meant is, did you wonder how did Shake Shack get a PPP loan, a small business loan? Well, they have 6,000 employees, but per location, they have whatever, 20, 40, 50, and they, and they qualify. And, you know, they, Ruth's Chris, the ones that got a lot of attention were shamed into giving back the PPP money. But 400 publicly traded companies, uh, mm. re- re- receive PPP loans. Uh, those who are backed by private equity, there was a study out that showed that $1.2 billion of Federal bailout money aimed at small businesses went to those backed by private equity, P.F. Chang's, uh, you know, Five Guys, a long list. You know, we have the wrong policy. We we really need, I, I don't know what you call them, At uh, micro, micro businesses is what some academics call the businesses I focus on, the businesses I'm talking about. But the, the category is so broad, it's meaningless. Well, let me ask this,
1: though. Should we be supporting small businesses? Because, you know, sometimes you, you see this with farmers that there are certain characters and mythologies around the political figure of the farmer or the small business owner. Does it actually make sense to provide extra government support for small businesses? Like, what's your argument for that?
2: Yeah, it, it's interesting. There is a book out there called Big Is Beautiful, and these are t- two academics uh, who make the case that. We shouldn't support small businesses because the truth is that large corporations tend to pay their employees better, tend to have better, tend to have benefits. Most small businesses, many small businesses, can't afford to give benefits. You know, the small chocolate maker I, I was just referring to a few minutes back—you know, it's a half a million dollars in sales a year. What, what is Ghirardelli or Hershey's? Billions and billions. So they they obviously contribute a lot more uh, to the economy. But I, I'll go back to what I said before, like. What is a community without local businesses? I mean, we we can't have like every town is just, you know, a different subway owned by a (laughs) <laughs> different franchise you know own right oh I, we can
1: gary oh we can take a look around
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well we need more than just that how about that you know, yes that that is the reality not, not, nothing against subway you know i i like my subway sandwiches but it's it's um you know i i i, I really think you, a, a pharmacy i i i could go to a cvs Is one one block from my apartment but I walked the extra few blocks. I like Claude the pharmacist. I I, I don't know. I you know what, what is the Cheers thing? Everybody knows my name. Like you know Larry the butcher. You know Tony, my fruit and vegetable guy. I I, I don't know. I, it, I mean, to be part of the world to have a community. Uh, Jane Jacobs has a, a famous quote uh, that you know the the ballet of the sidewalk. You know, it's like without. The local shops, the quirky shops, the essential shops, the specialty shops—I—I—I I, I, I don't know. It's just not a world. I want to live in. And in fact, 1953, Dwight Eisenhower with the Republican Congress, they created the Small Business Administration. I think they made a mistake by saying a small business is up to 500 people. But, you know, the, the, there was a time back when uh, when government did value uh, small business. Now the whole system seems rigged against small businesses. I think we're just what we need to do is just kind of even up the playing field.
1: Well, and I, you know, I actually totally agree that small businesses are important in part because we can't really capture, you know, the positive externalities, as the economists would say, of (laughs) businesses that actually care about where they are. Right I mean that to me that 's the, the big difference. like they actually care about where they are it 's not just like they drew a map of the country and said, This is the most profitable location. They in fact, were like, "I would like to
2: be here because this is where I live, and I care about this place and, uh, and they 're essential to the local economy, like you know when the Walmart is on the edge of Techanic, Pennsylvania. All the profits are going to to Arkansas, but you know when Greenwood's Furniture, you know the profits are staying locally. They're paying taxes. They're part of the community. They're funding the Little League team. You know they're part of the leadership. That oh, let's all organize and revive the the theater. You know, I mean for for, for local governments, uh, I, I I think small business is essential. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in another caller, a uh, Chad in San Francisco.
1: Welcome.
5: Yeah, hi. Uh, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, sure can. Go ahead.
5: Yeah, hey, Alexis. Uh, very fascinating. Uh, my wife and I run a small uh, kids' book program. We work with local preschools, and uh, my reaction in listening is it's it has something to do with what your guest said about 24th Street, Noe Valley, that just... This idea that we're about relationships, you know, we work uh, with local preschools, we know the leadership, the teachers at the schools, Uh, there's a a local web of relationships that sustains us, and it also makes it all meaningful. You know, you don't walk into a big box store and say, hey, how's it going? You go, you buy the thing in the big box, and... uh, you know, we're about, you know, cultivating relationships and business at a very local level where it tangibly affects your life and feels good. And that's why people like small restaurants and Main Street and everything. But I think it relates, you know, to what your guest is saying. And, you know, our book program has made it through the pandemic because we have these special connections with local preschools, which are also like small Mm -hmm. local operations. So it's this whole different ecosystem that exists independent of Amazon and huge stores. And, uh, you know, I think this is something of what your guest is getting at. But uh, um, I just wanted to interject yeah. that I, this resonates with us tremendously.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Chad. And I wanted to, you know, pick up on one of the words that you uh, you use there and, and throw it to you, Gary. I mean, part of it is, right, There is there are these different networks, right? I mean, the the supply chains and the sort of like personnel structures and the financial markets that big companies can access are just totally different, right? Even down to who they bank with, right? I mean, community banks oftentimes do work with these uh, small business owners.
2: Right, exactly. You know, it's funny, I hadn't really thought of this when I started, but every single small business I dealt with they dealt with the local bank you know it, it wasn't like oh my account with with Bank of America it was the community bank or whatever it was called if not on their main street then in the main street in the town next to them and you know picking up on something Chad said I uh, uh, I, as a newspaper reporter, I was sent to New Orleans right after Katrina. The you know eighty percent of the cities flooded. My piece of the story was the rebuilding, and you know talking to the various neighborhoods that were flooded out. And time after time, it was so consistent. No matter what the neighborhood, you know middle class, you know working class, whatever, it didn't make a difference. People talked about two things. They talked about. Their neighbors will. Their neighbors move back. Will it be the same if my neighbors don't move back? And the other thing was small businesses. The you know the the dry cleaner, the restaurant they loved. You know, it's like it really is community. It really is the fabric that holds us together. And for them, if their neighbors didn't come back and if they didn't have the local things they always loved, and and it, it just wasn't a community anymore for them. Yeah
1: i uh, got some great uh, comments coming in. Uh, Pam writes, I grew up with my parents working in a ma and pa grocery store in Los Angeles. As the oldest, I learned the business and remember the big grocery stores trying to drive us out during Tom Bradley's first run for mayor. I believe small businesses are the entry point for immigrants To flourish in the USA. Joan writes Walmart led the way in undercutting prices so small businesses could not compete and would eventually go out of business. This is why once thriving downtowns no longer exist. What small businesses offer that big box does not is customer service. Even in my most broke student days, I shopped at small businesses at slightly higher cost because I want to shop in places that get to know their customers and their community, not something you find in a big box. We are talking with Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Gary Rivlin. His new book is Saving Main Street Small Business in the Time of COVID 19. We're also taking your calls. Are you a small business owner? How did you fare through the pandemic? Do you have experience to share with the sort of government programs that were aimed to help small businesses during the pandemic? Or sort of what workarounds or new models? did you implement to help your business kind of figure out what to do the number is 866-733-6786 that's 866-733-6786 twitter facebook instagram we're kqed forum and the email is forum at kqed.org wanted to note too not all small businesses did poorly during the pandemic, there were certain kinds of businesses that actually did uh, quite well because of the ways that society changed during that time. Nan writes, and we're going to get to this more after the break, but Nan writes, I am a self-employed landscape designer in San Francisco. Other than the first month of the COVID outbreak, my business boomed because all those people were stuck at home, looking at their yards and feeling stuck, often with kids at home, have been busy ever since. My business became very essential we'll talk about that more after the break i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about small business here in the area and across the country and before the pandemic and now after, or in this trans-pandemic period. We're joined by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Gary Rivlin. He's got a new book out, Saving Main Street, Small Business in the Time of COVID-19. And want to add Paul from San Francisco into our conversation. Welcome, Paul. Hi there, Hey, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Thank you. I run a small
6: business, a, a garden center, uh, California Needed Plants. And we thrived during the pandemic because everyone was stuck at home gardening. <clears throat> but it, once it's cleared up, the COVID, now we're really suffering. we doing half the sales we did last year because oh, everyone went on baking. So we've been here 11 years and struggled a lot on and off, but we're a really unique contribution to the community. We got, like, 30 chickens, neighbors have goats, music. But we're we're hanging in. We're going to
1: yeah. keep doing it. So how does it, you know, sales are down from, like, kind of a boom year, but how does it compare to, you know, pre-pandemic times? Are you, are, are sales below that or are they sort of just back to normal? Uh,
6: they're probably below that, but it's, you know, it's seasonal, too. It's the, the, the dry season. and People don't plant so much. Yeah.
1: So, so what what do you uh have on tap? Do you do you feel like you need to change something or do you feel like you're just going to kind of like, you know, kinda muscle through it?
6: I'm going to muscle through it. <laughs> we just have two employees. One one actually got a another job pays more and but uh so just one employee and we we'll, we we'll, we'll get through. Yeah. It's, you know, we got there's like a 100 people come in here and say, "Hi Paul, how are you doing?" And so, you know, I got a lot of support and we share the space with a couple other entities. Yeah. It's great. It's my dream job. It's yeah. All I ever wanted. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it.
1: Thanks so much, Paul. That That's a good story. I, you know, Paul, uh, uh, Gary, talking about Paul's experience, he mentioned, you know, that one of his employees got uh, a higher paying job. And one thing we know is that this has been a hot labor market, despite the Fed's best attempts to send us, uh, uh, cool the economy down, I guess is the euphemism. Um, what do you think is happening right now with businesses and the challenge they face? In particular, it just feels like finding people to,
2: to fill all the roles seems very difficult. along and you know they can't really afford to pay uh, the 15 18 20 dollars an hour that you know people uh, you know lower skilled workers could get nowadays so it, it has been a challenge but you know to follow up on something else Paul was talking about that you know kind of your fate was determined long ago like if you were a, a shoe repair shop or a, a garden center well well The pandemic played well for you, but if you were a restaurant, you're, I guess, somewhere in the middle, you could at least do takeout. If you're a hair salon owner, you were were creamed uh, by it, or or geography. You know, if you had a restaurant where there was a bus stop in front, you couldn't build one of those sheds, one of the eateries outside. Um, you know, so, so, so much, there, there, was just this fate. And there's another element, especially manufacturers. So when they created PPP, they made a lot of mistakes. The, there was a second round in 2021 where they fixed some of them. But if initially they, all you had to do is attest that current economic, there was current economic uncertainty. And that might need you need a, that might mean you need a loan, and so all these places got PPP dollars, and their revenues weren't affected. So basically, got the U.S. government to pay their employees for uh, ten weeks, uh, eight weeks, and then uh, that was all profit. You know, whereas you're a retailer, like okay, we'll cover your employees, your employee costs if initial version of PPP said you had to spend it within eight weeks. Uh, well, but my store is closed. I guess I'll pay them because that's what I have to do under the rules. Three quarters of the money had to go to employees, initial set of rules. Uh, but there was nothing for them to do. And like, well, I don't want them coming into the store because the whole idea is that we're not mingling. And mm-hmm. then we keep this sh- shut down. So there are a lot of businesses that, did fantastic in 2020 uh, either because the pandemic played uh, to their strength or because they got all this extra government money without having to prove as you did the second round uh, that you would were economically injured. Uh, The second round, the 2021 uh, round of PPP, you had to attest that your revenues were down by 25% or more, which makes sense. I mean, if you're going to give, if we're going to give you our money, uh, you know, as taxpayers, we'd like to think there's a need for it rather than you're going to put it in your pocket and have a terrific 2020. You know, though, there was a lot of debate
1: at the time, though, that we weren't following kind of the European model, which was to just kind of keep people in their jobs there was still like a huge dip and lots of people lost their jobs in those early days so what's your ultimate assessment of ppp do you feel like it worked the way that it was do you feel like it worked
2: you know net well there's two ways to answer that did it work Yes, you throw a trillion or so dollars. It was about eight hundred billion in PPP money, and uh, another couple hundred billion dollars to a second program to help small businesses. An existing program that you know was used for 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 PPP. Excuse me, for small businesses. You throw a trillion dollars at a problem. Uh, you know that that helps a lot of people. PPP saved thousands tens of thousands of businesses one of my main businesses would not have survived without ppp there was a survey by cabbage they're owned by american express they catered a small business you know 85 percent said that ppp helped save us okay but with that said it was done so inefficiently first off the paycheck protection program we have unemployment i don't understand why we came up with a small we meaning congress came up with a small business program that was all about keeping people employed. Like I said before, sometimes I don't want to have people coming to work because there's no need and we don't want people mingling. So the way it was initially written, 75% of the of the PPP loan had to go towards uh, employee expenses, otherwise you'd have to pay it back. Uh, that made no sense. I mean, why just help small businesses survive. They'll Whether they're giving it to suppliers, they're paying their rent, doesn't make a difference. It's going back in the economy. I'm kind of hoping that the next time, when, if, if, but then when, there's uh, another pandemic like this, we come with a much more sensible program that's truly aimed at small business, not some business with 400 employees and tens of millions in, in revenues. And it's need-based. You have to attest that, you know, I'm economically injured by this thing. It's really going to harm uh, my My business and put less strings on it. Let small businesses – this is what I need to do to survive. And it's good for the economy. They're going to put the money back in the economy whichever way they do it, whether through employees or or paying their suppliers. Well, you know, I mean the the
1: argument was that if this was going to be a very fast thing, if it was going to be two or three months – right, then you needed to keep people in their jobs because the amount of friction that you would introduce into the economy by people losing their jobs and then having to rehire people being fired and then rehired, it was worth it to kind of f- to put the economy into freeze, right? It's just at least part of what happened was it went on way longer right. than than anyone anticipated. And then you, you had a whole different set of factors. Um, Let's, um, Let's go back to the phones, though. Uh, let's go to uh, Graciela in Hayward. Welcome.
7: Good morning. Thank you for this very important topic. And uh, the way you're talking about it, really, I feel like you, you really heard us. A uh, small Latina, veteran, Hispanic-owned businesses. I represent all three of those demographics from... Hayward, and um, I'm the founder of Gracefully Global Group, and we're an independent educational publishing and professional development uh, firm. We mm-hmm. serve school districts. You can imagine what happened to us in 2020. Mm-hmm. And we publish really amazing bilingual Captain Mama Children's Aviation books inspired by my decade of fun for the Air Force. So we do really multilingual, important work in in schools and universities and corporations. But all of that shut down, right? So we were... In the micro business community that didn't qualify for paycheck protection and so yeah we did the unemployment but what I wanted to contribute today is what I found so fascinating is how the administrative burden to try to get that bigger uh, money was so 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 heavy for organizations like us that we're just trying to survive and pivot and let's focus on universities and not schools because those are basket cases trying to figure it out <laughs> you know, we've got three kids. And, and so we pivoted to the universities that we were serving with virtual training, and that's how we survived, right? But it was so much easier for us to take out loans, get a loan, they said, economic impact disaster loan, and then the little tiny $5,000 grant. So I found it so interesting, and I want to talk about this, how the administrative burden was so much heavier mm. and, yeah, designed for the bigger companies that had that 20-person staff. Micro businesses, we couldn't take our eye off how to stay alive every day, you know, right. to do that work. And so we were happy to get an EIDL loan, a small one. Um, but, you know, take on more burden and get tiny grants is what we got. And so I thought that disparity was really on display and I wanted to contribute yeah. that as well.
1: That's really interesting. Gary, you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Thank I, you, I, Graciela. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. Graciela was, was saying it. They came up with it. I love that they did make this a fast program that now it, it, there's been a recent spate of uh articles about uh waste oh there weren't enough checks and balances put in put in place like well thank goodness like yes there were there there, there was ways or people who used their ppp money and bought a lamborghini literally that is a uh, an example but it was a tiny percentage like a, a trillion dollars worth of money like okay 10 billion that's 1% but it helped you know it 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 did go to where it, it needed to go but at the same time, they made the rules so complex. graciel makes a point like, you know, you're a two or five person business. You don't, you don't have your controller. You don't have a lawyer on staff. And, you know, businesses with hundreds of employees do. And so it just, there was this extra burden. They made it, it was a, a program designed to get the money out quickly. Uh, but unless you had a banker helping you and, you know, JP uh, J. Morgan Chase literally had a concierge program where they helped their biggest clients, they filled out the paperwork for them, they put them at the head of the line, but if you were just a regular small business struggling, uh, there really was no one to help you. And in fact, Glenda from Tucanic, I mentioned earlier, uh, she just was overwhelmed generally and just didn't take PP the first, PPP the first mm. round. It's just It was just too complex. Yeah. Let's bring in another caller, Seth in Oakland. Welcome.
8: Hey, how you guys
1: doing? Doing well, doing well.
8: Good. Good. So, yeah, I mean, I run a hand-painted, traditional hand-painted and gold-leaf sign shop over in West Oakland called Slight of Hand Signs, and I work pretty much exclusively with the small businesses in the East Bay and, you know, in the Tri-Valley areas all over. And one thing I really noticed, there was a huge turnover of businesses. I painted one business, three times in the last two years with new businesses coming in um and i think and this isn't a solve all but one of the things you guys touched on earlier was just how homogenous it seems that the u.s wants businesses to be they want subways on every corner all these name brand um, big box type places and with that it's so important to stand out, you know? And I think that that's one thing I would kind of wish a lot of people would do is really kind of put that creative kitsch or whatever is maybe not the right word into their business. Because at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of people who are going to shop at those and, or want to shop at those smaller places, they, they have to really kind of put themselves out there and the product out there and, um, I find that the ones that really do that um, are still here, you yeah. know, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of challenges with rents and everything like that. But, um, you know.
1: That's yeah, when you're talking to idea. folks, you know, who are coming in and going out of these businesses, what is that the main thing that's on their mind? It's just like the rent is too dang high. Is that the idea? I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's a massive thing, um, you know,
8: and I would say yes, and to answer your question, yeah. I mean, astronomical rents and then, you know, with consumers buying less, um, in general across the board for them is massive. That and the, I have one person, uh, busy work craft supply Martinez to get their yarns. It's crazy expensive, you know, Mm. but some people want it, you know, a lot of people have pivoted to e-commerce, you know, but, um that too you know having a physical location to do your packing and have people come in is still a big asset and i think towns really benefit from having those places and um, it's just harder to do you know and so my job is to make sure that people get seen and do it in a way that looks good and you know try (laughs) to keep it traditional in that sense Awesome. Hey, you know, thank you, Seth. Look at all the old photos of, uh, oh, yeah, 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 no problem, man.
1: Oh, no, yeah, no, you're right. No, all the old photos have the amazing, yeah, hand painted <laughs> signs. I love them. Yeah. Cool. Hey, thank you so much, Seth. Um, I want to try and sprint to one last call, Gary. Let's get to George in San Jose with a bit of a different perspective. Welcome, George. Hey, thanks for
9: having me. Um, my comment is directed a little bit at Gary, um, as well as you, sir. Um, I've been a venture investor in small businesses for many, many years, ranging from all over the country, small, small towns like Lewiston, Maine, Bainbridge, Georgia, all over. And I've seen the impact that small businesses have on their local community and their local economy, allowing families to actually afford Christmas that year. They're employed. So it's a big deal. My comment on the PPP is that, you know, as flawed as it was, and we can debate that all day long, I think the important thing to remember is that, and I'm also an economist, money is fungible. So as long as the money comes in and they're able to kind of pay for their employees, I saw a lot of my portfolio companies, you know, use that sort of extra money, if you will, uh, to, uh, you know, change their business models to allow them to even compete uh, in the COVID world, right? So companies that normally would be in, in person building up an online presence or using sort of that, that cash cushion to you know create an account on Shopify or whatever it might be to just allow them to even play. Uh, in the COVID world and not just fold. Um, so I think that was important both for the survival of small businesses and obviously reinforcing the point that you guys made a little bit earlier about the friction of having to, you know, lose a bunch of employees and kind of rehire them. Um, you know, I mean, this was the first time we saw something like this just as as a nation, right? We learned our lessons from the Great Depression about how, how the lack of liquidity led to a lot of issues. Um, and, you know, politics aside, congressional issues aside, it felt like at least our portfolio companies, you know, it sort of made a difference in, in mm-hmm. helping companies both stay afloat, helping employees, uh, you know, not need to go find new jobs. And a lot of the workers at these small businesses have very specific skill sets, and it's not easy for them to go change companies, right? They're not mm-hmm. all knowledge workers, white-collar workers, etc. and it's, it's not like they can just go work at Google instead of Facebook or something like that. You know, if, <laughs> if you're a cobbler and you're the only business in Lewiston, Maine that makes shoes now because... That's what there is and, and if you lose your you know, your job or your company folds, you don't have a ton of options, right? And so it's just a different perspective yeah. and, and I agree that PPP was flawed, but you know, it, it, it feels like it, it did make a, a difference, at least in a lot of lives that I've
1: yeah. seen personally. George, yeah. thank you so much
2: for that. Really appreciate that perspective. You know, it's, it doesn't get much attention, but the U.S. government put about $5 trillion or so uh, into the economy after COVID, and it really worked. I mean, I'm talking about small business, uh, but across the board, you know, a trillion dollars – Just small business, but hundreds of billions of dollars in stimulus dollars, which helps small businesses and large businesses because people have money uh, in their pockets. There wasn't the great small business die-off that people were predicting at the start of the pandemic. It's hard to measure because small businesses are always going out of business every year. About eight to ten percent of small businesses go under. But you know, the Fed looked at 2020, and the number of uh, small businesses that uh, went out of business was about 11.5 percent. Now, you know, individually, there's a lot of, you know, loss, a lot of sad stories, but globally, uh, you know, the truth is that small business survived. Again, Mm -hmm. I'm saying they survived to fight another day because it's really hard (laughs) being a small business, but they survived. They did not close up their shop, but there are examples like the storefront that went through three, you know, three different owners. Yeah. One listener writes, one point not mentioned is
1: how small businesses help foster other small businesses. I have a small ceramics business that only got off the ground because of several local independently owned shops in Davis that agreed to carry my work. We've been talking about how small businesses fared in the pandemic with Gary Rivlin. His new book is Saving Main Street Small Business in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio.
3: Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
0: Did you ever wonder
8: what it's like to live alone?